welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I'm streaming live from my office at the Mosaic Professional Pharmacy uh, podcast studio and my office. Um, and I am super excited to have Shelly Rose on today. Today, our midweek podcast is on Wednesday because tomorrow is Thanksgiving and we will be celebrating with our family. As you know, those of you, those of you that follow us, um, we have uh, two days of scheduled podcasts. Mondays usually 1230 to 130 and Thursdays usually 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. But those days and times do change depending on our guest schedule. So um, I am super excited to have Shelly Rose on our podcast today. She is a nurse and she's going to be talking about breast thermal imaging. And if I'm not mistaken, this uh, device that she has actually does a lot more than just breast thermal imaging. So um, she's going to be telling us about that. So Shelly, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Good morning, Sean and Janet. Good morning. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this um, breast thermography. Well, back in 1999, way back in the Stone Age, um, I got into nursing assistant, being a nursing assistant. So I was a certified nursing assistant for about nine years or so. My older sister talked me into it. She said, you know, you've, you've always babysat, so you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so we were doing that together for quite a while. Um, that led me into a little stint in emergency nursing and then ultimately going into nursing school, um, licensed vocational nursing on the, the left coast over there. The left coast. I love it. <laughs> we left the coast. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Many meanings, right? So basically, after about nine years, I got into nursing school. And so that was in 2006. Um, I was I took my testing in 2007, licensed in 2008. Um, so I've been a licensed nurse since then. And just kind of working in different types of... Um, different facilities, you know, mostly geriatrics for the most part. Um, but, you know, going back to my younger days, um, when I was about 19, I was diagnosed with fibrocystic breast disease, uh, having just a lot of lumps and pain. Um, I was actually living in South Carolina at the time, and I went to the gynecologist, and they were like, oh, you need a mammogram. And I didn't know any better, and I was 19, and this is a doctor telling me what I needed to do, and scared me very much, you know, right. so I went and I got that mammogram, and then consequently, after that, at, at least, I'd say I've had probably at least five or six, um, you know, throughout the years, and then in about 2018, I realized hmm, I have another lump that's causing me some pain, so what to do. You know, I was kind of left with a decision of, am I going to go back that radiation route and keep on that route? Or am I going to find something that fits more of my lifestyle, which was more of a holistic, um, you know, approach. So I looked into it and I, I had heard of thermography in the past, but I didn't know too much about it. So I thoroughly sought it out and found uh, an office close to me and I had my imaging. And once I did that, I was just like, wow, I need to do this. Like, this is something that I really, really, really need to do. Like, people, first of all, people don't know about it. And second of all, 
I mean, there's so many reasons, but there's no harm. There's absolutely no harm. And what we can see and what we can glean from the the imaging is is priceless. It's exponential what we can what we can see. And so many people walk in this door and come out with a report of things that they didn't know about. You know, they weren't aware of things that were going on with their bodies. So it's it's very fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, from what I understand, from what women tell me, including my wife, that a mammography is just not a very good experience. Um, and so can you tell us about that, um, about what, it meant? I mean, yeah. I'm going to guess women that, that are watching if they're, you know, over the age of 25, they've probably had a, had a mammography, but tell us about that, about how that experience is in the, in, when you have traditional mammography, is it painful? Yes, it's absolutely awful. Especially when you have painful breast tissue already going in, you know, you have, you know, fibrocystic breast disease, you know, dense breast tissue sometimes, and like um, PCOS even, you know, with hormonal issues and things like that cause a lot of breast pain, tenderness. And when you go into this, first of all, you're in a, a cold clinical setting, you know, basically just bear for everybody. And then you, they literally put you in a vice. It's a vice. Like it literally squishes all these different angles. And what is that doing? Every single angle, that's another hit of radiation. Wow. Now, um, I know, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot and I don't want to um, make any diagnoses or anything for, for anybody, but isn't it true that mammographies just they miss a lot of breast cancers and they also they they there's a lot of biopsies that are done unnecessarily because mammographies aren't looking for the right thing and I don't even know how to explain that but I just you yes. know can you can you expand on that at all yes absolutely um, basically I mean mammograms are, are limited I mean you're, the the views that you are able to see is very limited you know you cannot see the chest wall you can only see what is literally in that vice grip. Um, and, and what's radiating. And if there is not a lump of a size of at least about a dime, from my understanding, um, from at least about a dime size, it can't be detected by the mammography. So that's an anatomical test. You know, it's literally measuring a, a, a mass of some sort. It's trying to find a mass of some sort. But so many things get missed because it can't, it can't get it in there, you know, yeah, things that are like closer to the chest wall and things like that. Um, and what, what that is doing is causing a lot of women to be diagnosed with DCIS, you know, ductus, ductal carcinoma in situ that, you know, if I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of, um, doctors and even, uh, a breast cancer surgeon who has come to the understanding in a tough way, um, but has come to this understanding that, you know what, those DCIS diagnoses probably didn't need to be messed with at all. And what that's doing is causing these women to have further, further imaging. Okay. So they're going for a CAT scan, maybe not even an MRI, but they're going for a CAT scan. You know, I always recommend people go for ultrasound and then MRI, you know, I'm not recommending any radiation of any sort. Um, but that's just what I'm doing here in my practice. But 
um, when they go for, you know, their next imaging, then they say, oh, well, now you have to do, you know, a, a, a deeper mammogram. They have these, yeah. I don't even know what to call them, but um, I just try not to even look into them. But then it leads to a biopsy. And then what does that do? And then that leads to, you know, a diagnosis. And then it leads to a treatment that they probably didn't actually need. Yep. I, I've seen that over and over again. When women get their, you know, annual mammograms and there's some kind of there's some kind of lump that they saw, and then they, they just like you said, they do further testing and then they do biopsy. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's 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 cancerous. Well, and so they do all the surgery, sometimes even a, a mastectomy. And I just wonder how many of them are unnecessary. Absolutely. Um, if it's you know, encapsulated. It's right. I mean, let, let, let's let's face it, Shelly. All of us, if we do some kind of imaging all over our body, we're going to find something. Does that mean it needs to be removed? Possibly not. And especially if we live a good lifestyle already and have a healthy immune system. You know, there, there, if we did have some kind of lump, it might be there forever and it'd be totally benign. Right. Well, and this is one of the beautiful things about thermography and breast imaging itself in in particular um, is we can watch you know we're watching for asymmetrical presentations of vascular presentations and heat presentations you know if we see uh, asymmetrical heat or vascular presentation we're going hmm how off is that it shouldn't be more than half a degree from side to side which is so so you know I mean, yeah they, yeah yeah it's it's crazy like um basically we're watching what we can see that a mammogram technology can't see is this is a physiological test so we're watching literally the manifestation of a potential malignancy that's potentially beginning eight to ten years before a mammogram can detect that lump and that makes total total sense because so let's explain a little bit about what thermography literally is i'm 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 paraphrasing here. Thermo meaning heat, graphy meaning look at something. So I'm assuming that this, it senses um, heat in our bodies, correct? Yeah. Um, the technology was discovered or, you know, invented in like the 50s by the government, you know, and it was declassified in the 70s. FDA approved as adjunctive um, screening for breast in the 80s. Um, basically, yeah, it's measuring infrared, you know, the below the red spectrum on the the light spectrum. And basically what we what it's measuring is the radiation that's emitting from your body. So, I mean, I don't have to turn the lights off or anything. Everything has a radiation that's right. coming of them. So, I mean, if you're alive, you're you got some some kind of radiation coming off of you. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm not this is so safe. I'm just measuring the radiation emitting from you, which is amazing. And that's why we're able to see that uh, angiogenesis, which you know for the viewers is a new blood supply forming. So if there is a malignancy anywhere in the breast that's beginning, cancer has to develop a new blood supply to feed it. Yeah. Right. If so what we can see is, and that's what we're looking for, is, okay, is there an asymmetrical vascular presentation? You know, is it really vascular over here? Are we seeing, like, a ton of vessels over here and not 
much over here. What's going on? You know, look at the temperatures. What's the difference? I don't interpret those things. That's what my, my, my thermologist doctor is for. Um, he runs his specific, really sensitive tests on his end. Uh, and he's able to see, like, he's able to deduce down to, is this a nervous system condition? Is this artifact? Did the room cool too quickly? You know, he's so precise about everything. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to partner with him. (laughs) So tell us what would, on fibrocystic breast, you mentioned your personal story. Um, How would breast thermography look at, I don't want to use the word diagnose. How would it look at fibrocystic breast different than a mammogram? Well, I mean, looking at it, we're looking at the, the whole view. And one thing that, that is way different, and this is the only test that can actually do this, which is priceless technology, is, you know, because it is um, a physiological test, this is the only test that can measure the effects of estrogen on the breasts. And, I mean, if you know anything about cancer and you know anything about women's health, or just health in general, you know, your your further exposure, your length of time that you're exposed to estrogen increases your risk of potential cancers later. So what we're able to see is that effect of the estrogen going on on the breast tissue. And so with that fibrocystic, um, if you know, if you do have a fibrocystic diagnosis, um, what we're able to see is how stable is that? And is there a hormonal effect going on? Um, we can't see if if you ever hear someone say, you know, I can see the cyst in your thermogram. That's just not true. Um, a lot of people don't understand the laws of thermodynamics. Um, you know, cyst is it ends up being the same temperature as the rest of your body because it's fluid generally, right? So unless there's something underlying, you know, something anatomical underlying, you won't really see like a heat presentation there. But with the breast tissue, we can see that estrogen effect. So, I mean, to answer your question, you know, the biggest thing is to monitor the stability. So if someone, and we grade it in, in the, a TH rating, TH rating from one to five, one being normal vasculature, normal heat presentation on both, uh, you know, bilateral breast uh, expressions, or, you know, five being very abnormal meaning one breast is really on fire, really. I mean, you could probably notice in the room that something's wrong. So with the um, fibrocystic breast disease, a lot of times, and we we are really in a situation of a epidemic of TH3s, TH3 ratings. And that's basically, you know, um, a watchful, questionable, spot where people are is and that's you know you got a little bit going on on more than one side you you have a lot of you know avascular heat presentation um i mean asymmetrical vascular presentation so i think just monitoring like for myself um i had mine done just a couple weeks ago because it's been a while and um so and i ended up in that th3 range so from there you know in and there are cancers in that range that we can't necessarily always uh, detect, you know? So once you're in that TH3 range, we always recommend follow-up imaging. So 
you know, and that's between you and your provider, whatever you choose to do. But um, like for me, for my referrals to my patients, I refer them straight to ultrasound. And then from there, they can go have, you know, further testing if they so choose to, Um, you know, and that's totally up to them. And then we ask them to come back in about six months for the TH3s. TH3 is six months. If you're at a TH1, TH2, it's like every year. If you're in a TH4, TH5, we want you every three months. We want to watch how stable that is. And especially if you do have an estrogen um, effect going on, you know, and that's separate from the TH rating. We're able to say, you know, a specific testing was done to see if the effects of estrogen are, you know, seen. And that's either a yes or a no. And in my opinion, um, I think it's a little bit uh, more optimistic when we do have an estrogen effect going on with a TH3 or a TH4 because we have something to work with. Right. We have calm them down. We need to figure out what do we need to do? Are we, are we eating a diet full of soy? Are we slathering these nasty chemicals on us? You know, are we eating a bunch of flax seeds? Like there's so many different things that are phytoestrogens in our diet that affect these things and it can show on the breasts. So figuring out, you know, what's, what the etiology is too, you know, what it's coming from. What about low progesterone? Um, you know, my wife and I are both pharmacists that specialize in hormone replacement. Yeah. Um, you know, progesterone can help for fibrocystic breasts. It is non-proliferative in, with breast tissue, whereas estrogen proliferates breast tissue, you know, makes breast tissue grow. And estrogen, progesterone decreases that proliferation. So I'm curious, have you ever seen anybody that goes on progesterone and their fibrocystic breasts go away? Or can you, can you explain any of that? Do you have any research on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have it right in front of me right this second, but I mean, I can always give you things um, that you can add to later. Um, basically, um, I just lost my chain of thought. <laughs> Go back to what you just said. Uh, progesterone and its effects on breast bio- tissue, specifically, what have you seen in your experience with breast thermography? Right. Sorry about that. Um, bioidenticals is a, is a big topic. So, you know, my mind is going to bioidenticals in general, and that's, you know, a big combo, a a compound of a lot of, you know, different things, whatever the the body needs, right? So um, basically, yeah, you need progesterone to calm down the estrogen. You need that balance. And yeah, we have, um, you know, research studies and case studies that have shown, you know, this is the way, say it was a TH3 um, presenting and, and basically just a lot of activity a lot of activity going on in the breast. And then, you know, they start the bioidenticals and look at that. Now they're down to a TH1 or a TH2 within, you know, everybody, it's all subjective, right? You know, everybody's different and what else, what else is going on in their diet and their, their, their life, you know? So it, it is actually absolutely what they need is that balance. I, I, that's why I asked that question. I just wonder, you know, we, we, in a traditional medical system, we, we blame estrogen for breast cancer all the time. Um, and, and, and you said it, it's about balance. Here's, here's the problem with blaming estrogen. And here's, I just want people that are watching or listening to just think rational about this. When do, and I'm going to put you on the spot just to make this interactive, Shelly. 
when do most women get breast cancer? What well, age? I mean, in, I mean, forties, fifties, you know, around that. Menopause. What is happening in their forties and fifties? Yeah, menopause. Yeah, they're, which means they're losing their hormones, mm-hmm. and then yet we blame it on too much estrogen when in reality they probably don't have as much estrogen. They don't definitely have as much progesterone or testosterone. Um, and so it's a hormone balance issue. If it was all about estrogen, high estrogen, I mean, I know this sounds ridiculous, but if it was all about high estrogen, um, young women in their twenties would be getting breast cancer and, and women when they're pregnant would be getting breast cancer because their estrogen is super high. I know that sounds ridiculous. That's my point. No, I, yeah. And I, and I get it. You're, you're right on board, but, but estrogen is not caused breast cancer. Hormone imbalance causes breast cancer and, and, and specifically lack of progesterone, in my opinion. Sorry, I was saying the long-term exposure of the chronic estrogen exposure. Well, and, and you kind of said it too with bioidentical hormones. First of all, you know, the studies that have been used to show that estrogen causes cancer, um, you know, breast cancer specifically, it was it was with Premarin, for instance, and Premarin is pregnant mare's urine. Yeah. It's the most popular hormone ever, and it's horse pee. It is literally horse pee that is concentrated in estrogen. That is not the same as estradiol that our bodies make up. Um, and the other study that shows that, or or multiple studies, they also have Provera or a progestin, a synthetic progestin, not progesterone. And so when we can't lump all hormones in the same category, now birth control pills. And if you look at younger women that get um, breast cancer in their twenties, for instance, a lot of times they are on birth control pills, but you can't link all estrogens and all progesterones with birth control pills because they aren't the same. They're not bioidentical. They're not the same as what our bodies make up. Exactly. You know, you're always going to have a different effect with synthetics. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we can try all we want to try to mimic, you know, the way our body makes up hormones. But once you have a, ch- a little bit of a change in structure, it's going to have huge implications in the body. Case in point, estradiol and testosterone, they are close to the same in structure. Yet if you have enough testosterone, you'll be a man. So just because something is close in structure doesn't mean it's going to act the same in the body. Right. You know, and, and a good example is of how the progestins, i.e. medroxyprogesterone acetate, one of the ingredients in Prempro, also known as Provera, is supposed to mimic progesterone. And here's the analogy I always give. And if, and if people know this, they will know more than most gynecologists and know more than most pharmacists do about hormones. <laughs> What does progesterone mean? I'm going to put you on the spot, Shelly. What does progesterone literally mean? Pro? Yeah. Gestation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What do we use Depo-Provera for? To avoid pregnancy. (laughs) Okay. That's how different they are. So when somebody says, well, they're close to the same. Sure. One prevents pregnancy. One helps you get pregnant. That's how close they are. You know, and that is what I try to educate anybody. If they they know that about hormones, they'll understand the confirmation bias behind most hormone studies that you, you can't, you got to learn how to look at them and, 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 and realize that not all hormones are created equal. And just measuring hormones is a shot in the dark most of the time. You know, I mean, I have a lot of people who come in and, oh, I just had my hormones tested 
and they were totally fine. And then we look at their breasts and their breasts say otherwise. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) What was the test that the doctor used? Right. What was the test? What test do they order? And how do they interpret the test? Exactly. And, and is it over a course of a day? Was it urine? Was it dry urine? Was it saliva? Was, you know, um, there's, there's so many different ways to test your hormones. And and if a woman is, is still cycling, her hormones are going to be all over the board from day to day, you know, now postmenopause are not making as many hormones. So it's going to be a little bit more consistent, but what's normal and what's optimal is two different things. Right. And when we look at what's Normal, I mean, you know, when you get a, a, a lab levels back for hormone levels for somebody that's a woman in her 60s, oh, your, your levels of progesterone is normal, it, which is like 0.1. Sure, normal for a 60-year-old, but I don't want to be a 60-year-old. I want to be a 35-year-old. I want to feel like I did when I was 35. Exactly. So what's normal and what's optimal? It's two different things. That's why it's important to go to somebody that knows about hormone balancing, what tests to order, and how to interpret them. Yeah, the first time I had taken a, a hormone test, it was saliva, and I had, because I didn't really know any better, you know, I had a hysterectomy at 32, and it, I had my, still had my ovaries, but it, you know, made me into, you know, early menopause, around 40s, yeah. started having symptoms, and um, I started taking black cohosh, mm-hmm. because that was just recommended, because I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go on any synthetic estrogen so it was like okay we'll ha- try this let's see if it'll help you not want to hurt everybody in your house <laughs> and I really felt like it was helping and then fast forward a couple years later I get with functional medicine then I take this saliva test and literally there's like almost no estrogen whatsoever and I'm like blown away by that because I'm like well I felt like that was helping, but literally it was like doing nothing at all. So then once, you know, the bioidentical start, you feel so much better. And then in my situation right now with um, migrating, like I was saying, it was a TH3 and, you know, yeah, my doctor called me up and he's like, are you on birth control? Like, what is going on? Like, what, what are you doing in your life? You know, like you need to calm those things down. Like, why is there so much activity? And I'm like, um, I guess I need to adjust my, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, you know, until you, you know, do that yearly test. So that's where I'm at right now is just in that, in that middle point of getting the testing back, getting everything adjusted. But yeah, ultimately I think that I need, you know, um, progesterone like straight to the breast sometimes too, to, to really calm that activity down. You know, it's cycling through your system, but the breast itself, that tissue really needs that progesterone too. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So as we wrap this podcast up, Shelly, uh, tell us what you have a passion for. Oh man, I have a passion for a lot of things, but my, I'd say my, my biggest passion is, is medical freedom, you know, deciding what's good for you and what's good for your family without any government involved involvement, any insurance involvement, any doctor involvement is really, I, I really am passionate about that. You know, just seeking out what's good for you and finding out what your path and just going on your path holistically. You know, I really enjoy guiding people with their different ailments in different situations. Um, I really enjoy just... Mm-hmm.
hard nurse wondering geriatric and you're just popping pills, pushing pills and yeah. passing the pills and you're not helping as much as you think you are. You know, I, I really feel now that I'm I'm able to see the journey and I'm able to see the see the benefits and it just feels a lot better. Well, it's one of the reasons my wife and I changed our practice over 20 years ago because we just didn't feel we were helping anybody by just dispensing poisons for big, for big pharma and collecting co-pays for insurance companies. Um, so, you know, we've kind of been a pioneer in this medical freedom movement over 20 years ago because uh, we just saw the racket that the traditional system has. And I, I, I'm with you. I don't believe in medical tyranny at all. And I believe that we should have complete autonomies over our body. What we put in them, what we do with them is completely not the government's business, uh, not anybody else's business. It's for us to make that own, our own decision. And we should be educated on it. And we should network with the appropriate people to help educate us. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, another big passion of mine right now is educating, you know, uh, so many. I, I went to the local hospital and went to the um, radiology tech to educate them about what I'm doing. And they're like, so this is new. And I'm like, it, it really isn't. And they're like, you know, people are like, why don't we know about this? Why hasn't this been talked about? And my answer is always, well, the cancer industry doesn't want you to know that. Yeah. They want to create customers. And when you're taking your health into your own hands, they can't do that. It, it sounds, <laughs> if you would have said that three years ago, most people would have said you're crazy. But now I think a lot of people have woken up and just realized what an industry, what a sick care industry we have created. And, and I tell you, oncology, cancer treatments, it's one of the worst ones. I, and I, know, I know people personally that have been, been through the breast cancer surgeries, been through the biopsies and, you know, mastectomies even. And I often wonder if it was completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary, unreal what we do to people. Absolutely. Indeed. Unreal is, is a good answer. And what, what do doctors do? They practice. Yeah, right. It's all practice. It's not, science is never settled. So, um, you know, we are the product of their practice. And, uh, so, so speaking practice. Yeah, speaking of educating, our goal this podcast is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And you have definitely helped us realize that today, Shelly. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Sean. I really, really appreciate you asking me on. It's been a privilege. Yeah. Now, if anybody has any questions or needs to get a hold of you and wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best place to do that? Uh, my website just launched about two days ago. It's, oh, what's your website? I'll stream it. Yeah, it's hotshotsthermography.com. And, and there's tons of info on there. There's tons of research, um, case studies. If you want to, you know, frequently ask questions about thermography, just so much information on that website, just packed full of, of research. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram under the same name, Hotshots Dermography, um, email, same name at gmail.com. If anybody wants to. Beautiful website. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it has a, a lot of pull downs, a lot of, a lot of, uh, different sections on there with a ton of info. And I, I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today, Shelly. We really appreciate it. And, uh, let's keep in touch. All right. Thanks, Sean. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We will see you Monday on our regularly scheduled podcast, 1230 to 130 Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for listening. 